the Endurance Asia podcast. Yo, pick your red up because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, yo, they never last. Another shadow of regret I try to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Endurance Asia podcast and we have an absolute treat for you this week. We welcome Chris Fawn, the Male Athlete of the Year for the Endurance Asia Awards and an absolute legend in the expedition adventure racing scene. He's been at the epitome of the uh, of the scene as the lead navigator of Team of Aya, who have been smashing it year over year over year. We previously had the leader of the team, Nathan Fave, on the uh, on the podcast, and really so delighted to have Chris join. I'm a personally a massive fanboy of Chris, and a lot of the people that have experienced the adventure racing community know what a true legend this guy is. He really is the very best navigator in the world, and has proved it by. Winning the World Series pretty much year over year, winning the world's toughest race, which is God's Own, and uh, and also the the race of the year in the Endurance Asia Awards last year, uh, which is actually coming up this very week. And so, as we launch the podcast, the teams are going to be heading out on an incredible course in in Fjordland for the chapter 11 of the God's Own in, in New Zealand and we'll be dot watching we'll have the link to the dot watching in the in the podcast notes as well but it's going to be an incredible race and and we expect Chris Fawn to be at the very pointy end as they always are with Team Avaya but there's going to be some uh, some competition this year as uh, I think there's some great teams coming through as well but with that we will welcome the legend, Mr. Chris Fawn. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Mr. Chris Fawn, welcome on to the Endurance Asia podcast. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. No, no, very, very exciting to be on, on the show. Excellent. No, really appreciate it. We, Rick and I, when we were doing the Endurance Asia Awards for 2022, we uh, we unanimously between the two of us agreed that you had just one of the standout years. And I suppose you've had one of the standout careers as it pertains to endurance sports from athletes that are based in the Asia Pacific region. So really pleased to get you on and have a chat with you and and really hear about your sort of backstory of ingen- like adventure racing, as well as like what's coming up for you over this uh, over this coming year. So, yeah, thanks so much for for joining us. No problem. So, so like to kick off then, mate, I'd love to like hear your, your backstory. I know that you've got an orienteering background, but how did you sort of fully get into the kind of like this, I suppose, expedition style uh, endurance and adventure racing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, uh, most people, maybe we, I did, I did begin with orienteering from a young age. I never particularly 
well, I wouldn't say particularly competitively, competitively on the local scenes from about five onwards. But um, Which for New Zealand is pretty much like the world's best orienteers coming well, there anyway. I don't know about so, that. Yeah. I, know about that but, um, I guess, yeah, I've always been enjoyed the maps and enjoyed the outdoors. Um, and I kind of re-got into orienteering a bit more competitively again about 20 years ago now, around 2003, I ended up, um, going over and representing New Zealand. Uh, that was my first world champs in the orienteering. Um, yeah. And it was actually soon after that, a couple of years later, that a good friend, Aaron Prince, who you may have yeah. heard of um, yeah. in the adventure racing circles, um, he um, was racing at one of the US teams at the time, but um, couldn't get away from work for a, one of the qualifier races for something. So they were sort of after a placement navigator, and so he kind of asked me if I was keen. I'd never mm. really done any actual – I mean, I, my, my, my token efforts in adventure race before that had been abysmal. I think we pulled out and done all kind of not, – not, not, not particularly successful. <laughs> um, so anyway so – he, he subbed you in, and this was yeah, 2004. Was, and I was definitely a, bit, a little bit stressed, you know, because they were paying for me to go up to the States and race with them. I was like, whoa, that's a bit scary. Um, but it, it went well, and I think Aaron's cursed ever since because I keep on beating him mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, we've done, we've done a few, we have done a few races together. Um, uh, well, we, we did race quite a bit together the following few years um, until 2007 when I joined Nike. Um, but, yeah, sort of since then, I guess we've also, me and Aaron have done a least one of the god zones together with my wife and i guess yeah we still yeah. still still do a lot of a lot of um probably more sociable just just fun things um yeah because because this would have been post like the original eco challenge which was around 2000 2001 so you must have been aware of like the expedition style adventure racing there um, so not a, a little bit but not i guess yeah i was sort of a little bit as you say post when it was sort of had its heyday of, you know, the eco challenges and things. So I, I sort of wasn't really in the, if you like, scene at that point in time. Um, and I guess Southern Traverse in New Zealand was sort of the, the race at the time. That finished in 2005. And I kind of was just sort of aware of it, obviously, just when I was um, not never actually did the Southern Traverse, but I, I, I mean, I knew all about it, but hadn't really been, um, I guess, yeah, Obviously, yeah, ne never, never did a sub dress. And then that, and then more or less, they stopped running that until Godzone started about more well, 10 years ago now. Um, yeah. So there's a little bit of a gap in the adventure racing scene locally. Um, but yeah, I sort of managed to, you say, race, um, go like Timberland was the original team. Um, and then we had a real successful race. It was one of the big, sort of, I guess, fairly big Primal Quest races in the States in Utah, which I, really loved um when I mean, the first race i did i wasn't that excited by the first actual you know expedition the inspired the one you one. got subbed in for that aaron was like hey take yeah yeah um well, well i i got subbed in the, the i actually got subbed in twice i got subbed into for this qualifier which is a weekend event and then later in the year one of their other team mem members broke some ribs kayaking or mountain biking or something um and so i basically subbed in again for the you know the the sort of expedition length um one and I I don't know I think I was just too focused on the finish line um yeah I don't know I just I mean it wasn't like it was bad but I didn't really 
enjoy it that much. Um, and it wasn't really until a year we did the, the Utah race the following year, and I was like, oh, this is awesome fun. Um, I don't know. I just was, I guess I just was much more in the moment, and it was a, it was more novel experience for me because, you know, compared to New Zealand, Utah is a very different geography. Yeah, know, big stunning. Canyons and little rock pillars out in the desert and things. Um, yeah. So it was it was a cool experience. I guess it was just, yes, sort of cool to have the the combination of getting to see some places you wouldn't normally go and um, do. You know, I mean, you, you could if you were really organised, but, you know, there's, there's definitely been a few races that, um, I mean, I guess to me the, the best races are races where you kind of end up doing stuff that, would be hard to do yourself or to, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I guess. In such remote places that unless you yeah. had like a proper, yeah. like logistic wise, it'd be difficult to just get and out you there on know, your own. You know, yeah. land permissions and who knows what, and it's, especially when it's yeah. in a foreign country, a foreign language, it's all a bit daunting if you were not doing as bad a race. It's the race, you kind of at least come out of perhaps a false assumption that the organisers have hopefully kind of, you know, got you going somewhere that you're allowed to go and <laughs> not going to be eaten by too many big animals or something. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose because you started in orienteering and, and typically row gaining and orienteering are like 24 hour or potentially up to 48 hour and they predominantly all on foot. So when you first got into orienteering, it was mainly foot racing or was there mountain biking? Yeah, so, so orienteering is all really short, relatively like maximum of two hours um, right okay but i'm more thinking row gaining is more yeah, like row gaining is normally the 24 hours so that's so i guess my yeah. first exposure to well 24 hour kind of races if you like um yeah but yeah it's all on foot and i guess in some ways that makes it you know tougher in the sense that um you know a 24 hour foot stage even an adventure race is a tough stage and yeah. so you kind of i mean it's the the bench races are harder because you, you you have just more days of lack of sleep and everything else. But um, I think changing the discipline definitely you know makes it a lot more pleasant. Like I mean, if you were to do a five day race just on foot, they'd be heinous. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you kind of you kind of hate you kind of hate every discipline when you finish that stage. But you know. <laughs> By the time you're halfway through the next stage, you're like, oh, I kind of really need to go back to that one again. <laughs> what What would you say? I mean, you said Utah was great. So the, the first World Champs you you won was in 2007, right? So that was yep. when 2004 you first started, and then within a couple of years, uh, was, you were probably competing against Aaron by that point, right? You're both obviously two of the top navigators in the world, and then, yeah, it's very rare that you get two absolute specialist navigators on the same team a lot of the time so I, mean, I can imagine it is good when you do race with him given that you're able to go co-pilot for per certain parts of the races but having said that team of I you've probably got three really strong could be potentially be um, um be leading navigators as well yeah right? well that's I guess that's what I've realized is, is really beneficial is that you know you can I mean Scotland like when I did 2007 I was just the sort of sole navigator on the team essentially um and you know it's manageable but it's just a lot more prone to it, it's a riskier you know approach like i guess if you if you make mistakes there's no one there to back you up and you know you get tired and i know various yeah. things and it's um i mean i've certainly done other successful races where i have just been the sole navigator but it's it's definitely a lot more fun and um gives you just that extra degree of reliability if you like having another strong navigator and so um they say racing of errands like was fantastic and and now 
um, me and Stu and our current Avaya team, um, we work really well together. And I mean, it's, it's really fun navigating with Stu because, you know, I guess we're both kind of involved on the maps. And so you kind of, I don't know, you, you, I mean, you're mostly just kind of on the map, but it's kind of fun to have someone else also in the same kind of zone and, you know, kind of you can then just puff away about route choices and the rest of the team, well, just Nathan and Sophie, they kind of get bored out the back doing their own thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm interested, actually, what what do you do when when you make mistakes? Or And I know, like, you must have done more in your in the earliest uh, earlier parts of your uh, of your expedition and adventure racing career. But like, how do you manage it? Like, in terms of the dynamics in the crew, and uh, or um, even and like not just from a nav perspective, but I mean, for example, in Paraguay, I think yeah, at one point you did you lose your time card or something going into um, the last we, stage well, in the World no, Champs lost, last year? Um, uh, Stu inadvertently left our tracker, the you know GPS tracker. Behind, yep. so we got a two-hour penalty, sort of right near the near the end there. Um, so that wasn't quite so. Did idea, he leave it in a bag or something when he switched? Yeah, bags well, he, or... had it, he had it. I, I I gather he ended up having some toilet paper or something in with it for some odd reason. He stuffed it in there, and then when he got into the transition before the stage, we left it. He basically just took it out and just ditched the whole bag, which included the GPS tracker, um, uh, into our bin, and then I set off and we're like. Well, obviously unaware of it until we got it to the next transition. They were like, uh, can we see your GPS tracker? And we we're like, okay, here we go. Uh, ooh, uh maybe it's not here. <laughs> so that's pretty much what it turned out. But I think I think that that means a good example. With the same back to your question for navigating, I think Did you um, lynch Stu, did you? Did you literally no, lynch no, him? No, <laughs> uh, uh, we were uh, in some ways it was a good it was a good move. It kind of gave us a bit more motivation. Like we'd sort of been Almost cruising. a little bit, just not really despondent, but I, we hadn't actually been confident. Of it. You know, we'd, we'd sort of gone and reasonably confident, but things hadn't really quite gone to plan for the first couple of days of the race because I think combination of the time zone, we didn't really appreciate that that we hadn't adjusted and we were um, trying like, a, and then they had this big thunderstorm, so we, we more or less on. Did our normal approach where we don't sleep the first night and then the second night we were like okay we're going to get a reasonable night's sleep and basically we got no sleep because we went to bed what seemed like a logical time um but the problem is that we were all wide awake and then the thunderstorm came and it lasted pretty much the entire night and it was just like when you're like Whoa. um so it wasn't very conducive to sleeping um and i mean retrospectively um we should have just kept paddling until later on in the, that night at, late, at the very minimum or, you know, just waited till, yeah, waited till we either were, really were tired or um, had at least the thunderstorm had eased off a bit. Um, anyway, one way we kind of basically came off that night feeling quite tired because we were like, well, we haven't really had any sleep. Um, and I guess we were, we were where we were position-wise where we sort of wanted to be, but we weren't where we were wanting to be sort of sleep freshness wise and I guess that was a little bit of a downer um and then I think not all of us had had a bit of a not the best build up for that race as far as um just physical side I mean I hadn't really got time to do any longer sort of trips and things and I mean it wasn't like we were bad but I guess we weren't really sort of firing in any 
way. You um, all, I think the whole team are always maintain a solid amount of fitness. Well, right. Right. You're we, always we, out on your feet all the time. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. exactly. So we kind of we kind of had a good, you know, we were good and stable, but we weren't really, I guess, able to, you know, kick in any extra kind of speed for most of the race. Um, but I guess our normal approach, which again seemed to pay off, is um, that is I guess to be. I guess, at least more recently anyway, I mean, probably our earlier races were much more like, let's just go hard. Um, but I guess we've, I think, become more sensible. More and, mature. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, and basically, I guess our, our general feeling is that the the race is, you know, one at the finish line. And, and the key is you want to be in good form, you know, leading into the last, you know, day and a half of racing because, that's often where things will make or break, um, yeah. you know, and, and as far as how teams go. I mean, you don't want to obviously be too far behind at that point, but there's um, there's no point being out the front if you're in poor shape, if that makes sense. Um, 100%. So yeah. I guess, and I've just done too many races in the early days where we set off too hard, didn't get quite enough sleep, and then you just crawl along at the end, and it's just not satisfying racing. Like I guess for all of us, we like racing well, and you can't race well if you're too tired and broken. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah, both, then, both sleep strategy and just uh, and just not going, yeah, not going too hard too early. And so and I guess we were just really, I guess for most of the race, we really just tried to, you know, never push ourselves too hard, and um, the you know following night we did get a good, you know, three plus hour sleep, um, which just doesn't sound that long, but, you know, I guess on the scheme of things is um, not, not a bad sleep. Um, and then we, you know, got another um, okay sleep the sort of following night. So we kind of did, I guess, get back into some better sleep the next couple of nights. Um, and I guess it then just, um, I, I guess it was a combination of like partly, getting the tracker it was almost a good thing because it sort of was it was more like we kind of didn't have anything to lose it's like well you know we're kind of we're now the kind of not quite the underdog but you kind of almost like we've sort of got the handicap so it was sort of in some ways kind of gave us more inspiration to like oh yeah okay let's just go and smash this course out um and you were at that stage you were you were forced to have like so you two hour penalties you can just basically rest in at a checkpoint there well we knew we knew you couldn't do the rest until the start of the very final stage you couldn't have this we couldn't have our rest then um and freshen up for the rest of the race you had to basically race until close to the finish line which is where you had your penalty and i guess they do that deliberately ah, so that you can't just you don't use bang your, sleep okay you can't yeah. just use your rest and kind of be like almost like no penalty because it's like well we kind of need a four hour sleep anyway so let's just have a sleep and well who cares it's like, the penalty is not a penalty kind of thing so yeah they, they tend to always have the penalties I mean, they don't want to have it at the finish line because from the race perspective, it's kind of sucked having a team come to the finish line and be like, oh, we're just sort of sitting here. So they, they normally have it at the start of the final stage, which is normally a typically a shorter stage, you know, might be three to five hour stage or something. And so normally before then, or could even be shorter, but before then is where you sort of sit out the penalty time. So I guess we kind of knew that, it wasn't a, I guess for us, it was good that it wasn't a really short stage. We knew it was going to be at least about four hours. Um, and I guess, you know, so it would have an advantage being fresher going into there. Um, and I guess you can, 
transition a bit quicker with the penalty and that you can kind of use your penalty time to, you know, lube up your your feet and kind of do some little bits and pieces of stuff that would be nice to do that you kind of, so you kind of can transition a bit more ruthlessly and then kind of fiddle around in your penalty time. So I guess it kind of gives you, you know, I guess that's a, you know, 15 minutes sort of off the penalty, if you like, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Were you... Were you all pissed with with Stu at the time though? Were you like you bloody no, idiot? Or you, like, how did it happen? Like, when you get into when um, you ha- make those mistakes, do you? Because I know it's so easy, especially when you're sleep deprived and you're you just want to have a bloody go sometimes. But like as a team, are you pretty pragmatic about it all? And um, you're like, hey, yeah, very much. So I guess the the pretty much with in, in all the situations, um, it's always the person that makes the mistake that's the one that's most annoyed at themselves. Like everyone yeah. else in the team doesn't really care. Like we're just like, yeah. oh well, that's that's sort of the way it is. I mean, I guess almost just glad it I wasn't guess, them I'm, that made the mistake. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A little bit. I guess it's I guess the thing is that you always want to just do as well as you can. I mean it's kind of as the team, but you know, I guess you can only control what you've done. And so I guess there's no um well, there's no point beating yourself up either. I think it's yeah. the other thing I've, I've realised. But there's certainly zero point being annoyed at, you know, the rest of the team for something that's, you know, already happened and it's clearly a mistake, you know. And, and in uh, this instance in Paraguay, it actually probably gave you the extra impetus you needed going into Because the, the stage then that you had to go into was like a, a really tough night trek, wasn't it? Like I seem to remember it was like 40k yeah. or something and you had... I forget, was it the was it Swedish Armed Forces that just caught yeah. up with you at that stage as well? Yeah, so they, they were actually, um, they were sort of slightly, they came into that transition about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so ahead of us. Um, wow. And then we sort of had our penalty. So you could sort of on paper think, oh, they were sort of like, you know, almost two and a half hours ahead, if you like. Um, but we, we knew that they hadn't had as much sleep as us. I guess you kind of get a bit of a gauge of how much sleep the other teams have because, I guess when we had our sleep, we were behind them. I mean, yeah, we were, sorry, we were in front of them. We knew they were behind us when we stopped for some of the earlier nights. And then, you know, the next morning we catch them up. So clearly they've had less sleep because well, they've, they've overtaken, you know, they've overtaken us. And so I guess, um, I mean, we didn't know how much, but we, I guess, felt likely that we had more sleep. Um, I guess we'd also, which is quite good confidence-wise, gauge that they were less um, if nothing else, less confident on the navigation than we were, because um, they tended to want to be following us and weren't that keen to take the lead. Um, and I guess again, that was a weakness because speed-wise, they were very similarly matched to us. Like we kind of, I guess we'd already realised we weren't just going to be able to run away from them on a, you know, just just outrun them type thing. So we had to try and be a bit more cunning. And I think, yeah, going into that final night, we were like, well, pretty much our game plan was like. The very last thing we want to do is let them follow us because what there's no point to it at all. So we're like, well, if they do end up trying to follow us, we might as well just deliberately go the wrong way or do pretty much anything. Um, just run up and down a hill for two hours and see if they keep following us. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Basically, do anything to try and get them to not follow us was kind of the, the game plan, if you like. And um, I mean, it kind of, in some ways, like most of these things, often the opportunities arise that you don't quite anticipate because we did catch them up and then they kind of got a bit eager and then they kind of got a bit hesitant and then they sort of tried to wait for us to, you know, take the lead. And then we were just like, oh, I don't really know what to do. So we sort of just bashed off into the bushes pretty much aimlessly. 
Um, and they got to the next checkpoint before us. But I think that kind of gave them a bit of confidence because they sort of like, oh, you know, we kind of can do this. Um, so then they basically, oh, they, they almost, yeah, sort of took a bit of a, a chance at the lead and they went to the next checkpoint, you know, out in front of us. And then they were sort of heading off to the next one. And then I was just without really thinking about it, I sort of was like, oh, they seem to have been drifting a bit left of where I was planning to go. Um, and so we just sort of quietly wandered along where we were, you know, and where we were wanting to go and noticed that the lights were sort of slowly getting further and further out to the left. And then we were like, oh, this is actually really kind of good opportunity. So we pretty much, I guess, realised this is a, you know, we had to sort of do something a bit. So we basically just, you know, took our headlights off and yep. held them down close to the ground and just basically ran as fast as we could for about 20 minutes. Um, and I think retrospectively looking at the trackers, they did see us or see our lights briefly or something. So Because you can sort of see the track almost kind of did this big this sort of diagonal trying to intersect where we were. But they obviously, we managed to get sufficiently far in front that they didn't see our lights for very long and they ended up basically getting doing a bit of a nerve mistake and um, more or less we just then put the hammer down as much as we could for the next few hours just to make a make us get a more confident kind of gap on them um, and no, I guess that's, it, that's that's classic like light off in the middle of the dark so but also yeah. it can help with in especially if you've got some moonlight sometimes when you turn your uh, turn your light off you can actually get better visibility you can sign kind of see the contours of some of the land a little bit better do you find actually at night when you turn your your torch off you you can nav a little bit better um well that was there was there was probably the only thing I could think of on that question you had regarding um additional tips that are not normally in the book is is doing precisely I mean I wouldn't I'd say 90 percent of the time you just go along and you're using your headlight to spot things slash um, you know, just find the nice line because on the within the nearest, you know, hundred meters, the light's basically better than not the light. You know, ha having a bright light, basically having a good light is the key. And I guess on that front, I tend to take a bit of a grunty light than the rest of the team. Um, what, what do you use actually? Oh, I have been using up until now a spike light, which is an Australian was it sort of a startup Australian thing, which kind of basically doesn't exist anymore um yeah. it was sort of almost like a homemade kind of <laughs> job yeah. but it basically had a um it was a dual light but the, the a bit like thing, the a up ones well the key thing really is it had a um a super narrow beam a bit like they use for I don't know, hunting spotlight type i don't know yeah. equivalents it's sort of got a i can't remember the name of the lens but it's a special lens that basically gives you this real ultra narrow beam um, yeah. which means that you can't see much, you know, width, but you can see a lot, you know, punches out to, you know, 300 metres or something. And it just means yeah. you can um, see some of the detail you can't normally pick up on. So it's quite a nice mixture yeah, to have cool. those two. So that's sort of what I've been using. But, yeah, I'm a bit sad that I've kind of gone out of business. So I'll have to, I'm, I'm kind of currently... Um, We've got the Phoenix lights we're sort of going to be using for God's own this year. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they don't, I mean, they, they do have a slight sort of dual system in a similar way, but it's not quite as narrow as the, the spike light I've been using. So um, see yeah. how it goes. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so that, there's kind of, um, I guess, I guess back to the original question of dealing with the pressure kind of. Um, I think originally I sort of went into the adventure race, and I guess perhaps with not, 
too much pressure on myself because I guess we didn't have a history of you know winning world champs or whatever. It was sort of more the the goal to try and you know do as well as we could. And I guess at that stage I kind of was reasonably sort of I don't know I wouldn't say proud, but sort of was reasonably you know confident in my navigation. Like oh yeah, I'm quite a good navigator. Um, probably more than I should have been. Um, and then we more or less yeah following Scotland had. A number of years where basically, especially the following year in Brazil, I sort of felt that we kind of lost the race because basically I cocked up several times of the navigation and eventually kind of almost just lost the plot of the navigation. Like just, I think the problem is that the more stressed you are, the worse your navigation gets. Um, and then we had a few other years that we still did win, but I guess I almost didn't enjoy it that much because I probably was, again, too... I don't know, maybe just too focused on winning or too, I don't know, almost not, not wanting there to be too much challenges, like kind of almost, you know, not wanting the challenges to not be there, um, which is a bit sad. I mean, it's a whole fun. But so, I don't know, I guess I've kind of learned from some of those sort of, if you like, intermediate, we're well, not the first race, but sort of, you know, um, now earlier, you know, sort of races um, that I guess you've got to, you've got to want the challenge and enjoy yourself. Um, and I guess that's our approach is, you know, like with losing the tracker or making mistakes is to just, you know, not get stressed by it. Um, Cause yeah. you've got to kind of, you say, you've got to, a bit like the track, you've got to, you've got to kind of make the challenge enjoyable for yourself. I think, Oh yeah, this is, this is good. We've got a real challenge now rather than yeah. being like, Oh, you know, getting all pissed off about it. Just sort of be like, Oh, there's actually, you know, almost viewed in a positive light. And I think that's that's part of the key. Um, and I guess, yeah, the same with the navigation to not shy away from the difficult stuff and kind of, you know, almost almost enjoy enjoy it if you do make a mistake. It's like, oh, this is this was, you know, a good challenge. Um, rather than sort of being real frustrated at yourself. Um, I mean, you do get frustrated, but I don't know. So we've got to try and just keep that sort of mentality a little bit and I don't know that's probably my best advice <laughs> yeah I, I'm sure that just comes with the maturity and the experience of it all as well right is that that you and the confidence that you've got going into races now as well it's like you've well, got I, nothing I think really more to prove really have you well I think there is a bit of that too I guess we're all have done fairly well in the last 10 years and yeah. I suppose none of us have probably you know I mean we're really competitive you know, for the out there on the course and for the race, but in saying that, we we don't have probably the same sort of drive or sort of you know. I guess we're more relaxed. We're probably more relaxed team um, yeah. on the whole. You know, we're like kind of. I guess we're confident but relaxed at the same time. I don't quite know how they what I mean, but um, yeah, I think it's in some ways it's a nice combination because I think that um, on the whole, like, yeah, I guess getting stressed and and it's kind of what I guess we almost used to our advantages you know if you can stress the other teams out yeah. then then that's a, a kind of a you know an extra bonus in your direction i guess <laughs> yeah i i'm interested you talked a lot about the the sleep strategy in your races as well like do you think there's been any detrimental effects to you of the amount of um, sleep deprivation you've had like because you probably do two or three big races every year right and like what's the recovery period do you find from those sort of expedition races and do you think there's any sort of negative impact of like going through that pretty um, treacherous sleep dev and um and and just the overall toll it puts on your body i i guess it's 
very hard to know. Um, I I don't think so. I mean, sometimes I think, God, I'm way stupider than I used to be. But um, <laughs> then, <laughs> and, but well, you've got two I, young kids now, anyway. So all that sleep down over the years. Um, well, you've got a one year old and a three year old. So yeah, you're probably getting um, it even worse now than you've had yeah. it in your racing for the last ten years. But no, I don't. I don't feel it's had any detrimental. I think. I think to me the the biggest thing regarding sleep. For some reason, we do seem to maybe just a bit of being older slash experience cope with the sleep better than we used to. But um, I guess to me that the key thing really, I think, for any team is to get enough sleep for for your team. And if if basically if you don't get enough sleep, you'll race slowly and make more navigation mistakes. And I guess generally won't enjoy the overall slower yeah yeah it won't um, be as much fun and i think so you know like i guess yeah with, with most of the recent races i i've done i haven't actually really felt that sleepy for pretty much any of the race like you know there's only been Amazing. a few a few moments um that you know like a few hours perhaps at the most that you're like oh i'm a little bit kind of feel like i really want to close your eyes or something but that's you know, in general, I think if you sort of get to the state where you sort of feel like you're walking along and you really want to close your eyes, you haven't got enough sleep. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that, that's my, my fear is you, you want to you ideally avoid that situation. We hit it a little bit in, you say, Paraguay because of our penalty and the way the timing was working. We kind of, we had planned to sleep the, the final night for like an hour or so. And we were kind of like, oh, I think we can probably make it through to the, where we had to have our two-hour penalty and obviously we'd have a sleep then. Um, and we sort of did, but it was a little bit touch and go just for a couple of hours in the morning on the bikes. We're just sort of a little bit like, oh, um, <laughs> which wasn't ideal, but um, more or less, yeah, kind of disappeared once the sun, you know, got light again. Um, but, yeah, I think I think on the whole, you can avoid that sleep. I mean, basically, if you get that sleeping feeling, I think you, you, haven't, you haven't managed yourself as a team properly and you yeah. should have slept a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how, yeah, how do you go recovery, about recovery between races? Yeah. Um, yeah, so recovery, um, it's it does definitely depend on the length of the race. Like the shorter the race, typically the quicker the recovery. And, well, I guess the more sleep you have, the better the recovery too. So, you know, if you've had a dark zone or a race just has worked out for a bit more sleep, you'll tend to recover better. Um, I think for a, up to a sort of a four-day kind of length you know four, four day race normally like which for any normal people would be like a seven you, day race but you, like you're normally <laughs> you're normally pretty recovered after about three weeks um okay. if it's a you know sort of five six day kind of race it might take you more like a month to um yeah. or possibly in about six weeks to get a bit more back but it, it's sort of like people say what well, you're recovered i mean you know you you spend a few days feeling pretty broken and swollen like oh i don't feel very good at all um but after not very long if you know generally within a week you feel pretty normal and you go out for a run and do normal stuff it's just that you'll feel a bit flat and weak and not keen to like push yourself too hard so sort of um you know i mean i guess you you definitely can go get back into stuff but it's just that you won't be i guess especially for a short distance race you won't have your same speed yeah for quite a few weeks 
Um, I yeah. think, as you said before as well, Chris, the, the fact that it is multi-sport does mean that it doesn't, you're using many different muscle groups, whether you're like paddling at one time or then on your feet or then on the bike. So it's not like if you were just running for four or five days, the recovery would probably take a little bit longer. But the fact that you are mixing it up over the course of those four or five days, then it does mean recovery is a bit quicker. Definitely. And I think, I think yeah, I think the, the combination of basically sleep and length are probably the two biggest factors for how well you can re- you recover but except for you know injury type related things yeah and on that like what what kind of training are you doing in between races then so like have you got a real have you got a coach or is it like do you have a coach someone um, that coaches the entire no, team no i'm really slack and useless um i used to <laughs> i used to do a bit more but having kids has made me lazy as, as aaron was predicting it would he was like oh i'll just wait till you get kids they'll slow you down and sure enough did um, <laughs> you're still beating him <laughs> <laughs> well he's got kids too they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> um um i i try and i guess i try and just you know maintain a moderate level of fitness through the year like nothing particularly great but you know i still try and keep a reasonable level ticking along the whole time um and, I and guess what's that just a mixture of running biking during the so uh, during the winter just, yeah, I guess, you know, it's nice to get out for at least one, you know, more, a little bit longer, you know, like a two plus hour, you know, hill running to, you know, thousand plus vert or something and kind of push yourself fairly hard. Um, so normally if I find if I can do something like that once a week, um, you know, a bit of biking, maybe a bit of paddling, I'm lucky, I sort of tend to be a bit slack on the paddling. Um and you know the weekend ideally doing you know some sort of little trampy trip or some little solar or you know a little adventure at least one of the days on the weekend but not 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 lots of it but I guess you kind of end up you know inadvertently I mean I kind of try and use commuting as a bit of a you know go tow the kids around the charity I guess I tend to do most of the stuff I do because I sort of feel I'm generally should do more hours. I tend to do whatever I do, sort of at ninety five percent intensity. <laughs> so, sort of time trial, time trial over to the take the kids that you know twenty minutes to swim. And- <laughs> That's funny. Like well, time I can you, imagine them in the back there, of the trailer, like bouncing yeah. around. Just yeah. so by the time you get there, you're sort of dripping a sweat, and you know your legs feel pretty pumped out from doing a twenty minute sort of sprint exercise um i mean obviously your your wife emily is is also a, an adventure racer as well and so i suppose that's although now you can't both go racing together a lot of the times because one of you's got to look after the kids right do you actually choose who goes and does certain races or is she um yeah she's taking a bit of time out with the second one because i know the your second one's under a year yeah, older still um uh, uh, i guess on the whole probably like lacking or getting the priority on the whole yeah. uh, <laughs> other races. Um, she did just do coast to coast as the team with her oh, sister, amazing. Um, last week. So, um, good. I mean, they, I think they were third in the open two day for the team, tandem team. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, she basically, yeah, her, her biggest regret really was that she got almost no time to do any training for it, which is pretty much true. Um, <laughs> and she still rocks so, up and does a podium without doing any training. Uh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't really wasn't really optimal. Um, <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, so anyway, I guess we both like to try and keep it just a general fitness level. And I guess it's then, you know, about, oh, I don't know, two and a half months out from the race, try and 
put a focus in for that particular event. Um, so for me, I guess since I often don't do as much paddling, I try and you know get back in and start doing a bit more paddling. Um, try and just make a little bit more effort to get out a bit more regularly. And I guess based on previous um, God's own race, um, I felt a bit weak just with the carrying the pack rafts up the hills and slogging around. And I think I'd, I guess, who knows, I get, but my build up for that year last year was more multi-sport. I guess I didn't do any tramping, you know, adventures. So I've sort of gone on the other way this time, but I, I have luckily managed to get about six days of, you know, doing some good 12 hour days of a, you know, 25 kilo pack on your back. So slogging yeah. up some, good hills and doing some longer pack crafting. So I sort of, um, I'm hopeful that will be beneficial. Um, yeah. We'll find out that, um, that, the, the one that reminds me of the reunion Island race. I remember following that and that had like a pack raft and you had a, a climb, which was I think it's 80 or hundred K on foot, which then, which was like the elevation was just, it was like 10,000 meter elevation or something in an, in an 80K or 100K, right? From the beginning with pack yeah. rafts. Is that right? That, that um, race sounded. Yeah, sounded... I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to remember whether we had to carry a pack raft for that big long thing. I I can't I can't remember what we had, but it, well, there was a very long trekking yeah. stage to start with, with a lot of hills. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think to me, the optimal preparation is basically. A bit of both, like you want to go and do a, definitely a reason as much as you can of the longer, you know, just some good on stage with a bit of pack on your back kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good to do a bit of higher intensity, more, I guess, cardio, because I guess with those longer stuff, you're not like you're, you know, maxing out. You're not getting cardio. your heart rate up. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you do a bit, but not obviously the same as if you're just doing a two-hour run as hard as you can kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that it's good to do a bit of a bit of both, I think, what, what I sort of aim for anyway. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Well, look, I, I know we've got, we're coming up this week, you've got God's Own uh, happening, Fjordland, they're back there. I think the last time I there was 2018 or something. So uh, how are you feeling? It kicks off this Thursday. How are you feeling about uh, about this year's God's Own? Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I sort of, it's always a little bit, Sort of, I don't know. You always have a slight bit of nervousness of your preparation. Often going, in, cause I guess it's it's seldom that I ever end up being prepared as I'd like to be. Um, <laughs> but I think that I don't know. As long as I don't go and get a silly cold in the next few days or something dumb, you know, um, an event like that, I, th- I think it should be a, a fun race. I mean, it's cool. It's cool racing as our team. We haven't raced a Sophie since last yeah, year. Missed out on Paraguay. Um, yeah. Because she was injured for Paraguay, wasn't she? So, yeah, yeah she's back again. Yeah. Um, so she's still sort of almost coming out of injury, really. Like, it's not 100%, but hopefully, it's, you know, not going to be a problem during the race. Um, and, but, yeah, I, I'm i feeling reasonably, I don't know, reasonably popular in that my preparation is okay this year. So Have you have you trained with, uh, with with Stu and Nathan and Sophie at all? Is, uh, going um, no, the they they. They did a bit of a mission, but I was just a little bit busy right that, that about a month ago um, at, with work and some other stuff at the time. So I ended yeah. up not not joining them for that. Um, but I guess typically we have just done enough races together that we, I don't know, just 
know how. I guess we know how we all race together. I guess is the key. Yeah. You don't forget that that quickly. Um, having done so many races together, so it's not really any. I mean, I think for a team that hasn't done much together or a newer team, it's definitely more beneficial to do a bit more getting to know your team and how you work, you know, under, you know, a bit of stress or longer days and things or whatever. But um, I guess for us, yeah, it's, we just more or less rock up and that's about it. Each, yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you've been racing together for sort of eight to ten years, you're going to have that um, that confidence going into it. But you, you obviously you won't get the maps till Thursday morning. But you've been given all the stage information so far. Do you like? Yep. Is there anything that? Um, yeah, obviously without seeing the maps, you don't really know. But is there anything you're excited no, or concerned um, about? I'm. I'm. It's more exciting than I. I mean, I don't really know what to expect. I sort of have been led to believe that we're not going to go into the deepest, darkest fjord, and which you pretty much knew right from the get-go, really, because logistics and the fact that most teams aren't really that experienced, they're not going to send you anywhere too, too remote. Um, but in saying that, um, I think regardless of where they go, there'll be some fun event, like some fun challenges. Um, and there's some quite, I don't know, I suspect could be some quite grunty, I mean, there's like a 70 3k pet craft trip which sounds ominously long which is good i know it's kind of yeah. i guess i quite like that sort of a challenge um so and yeah some of the tricks you know they sound like 32k but you know a lot, a lot of the terrain yeah you're doing well to maintain 2k an hour so you yeah know, you're proper be, bushwhacking the whole way um, yeah. so it, it's really i guess yeah pretty speculative and you can waste lots of time trying to decide where the course might go and it doesn't really help you um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know I yeah I'm sure. I'm sure. Whatever they put together will be a, a bit of a challenge and some some fun. So it should be good. Yeah. Any, anything else planned for the year after God's Own? Have you uh, have you got um, any in your diary? We were we were pondering going to South Africa, but that's but unconfirmed at the moment. Um, for the as you say, other world champs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think Nathan was. Keen and they're not keen. I think currently he's thinking that he probably isn't. Um, so I guess it's a little bit whether the rest of us are still keen to go without him. Um, I think it's kind of the, the current status, but who knows, it might change again. We'll I find mean, out. Nathan, I think he turned 50 last year, didn't he? Um, what age What age are you actually, Chris, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, 46. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right in there. You know, you got you got four or five years on on Nathan. But um, but yeah, I mean, what what's the plan for you, Daniel? Can you see yourself racing into your fifties? Um, oh, definitely. But I I don't know how much international racing I can be that motivated for. I mean, I guess yeah. it's not that I don't enjoy the international racing, but um, I mean, as much as anything, I probably feel a bit guilty flying around the world in this current, you know, carbon conscious yeah. um environment. <laughs> That I probably left a fairly abysmal CO2 outings going <laughs> traveling around as much as I have. Um, so that's, that's even a little bit off putting, I guess. Right at the moment, it is a bit tricky, obviously, for the younger kids to, you know, be away too much. Um, so who knows? And I, I guess um, I think it depends a little bit on probably where the race is and what it is, and, you know, if they throw up some magically exciting prize money will probably be like oh, that sounds a bit tempting um yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know but, but like, i i certainly don't have any plans of, of like stopping being involved for some yeah. time 
What, what about the Aussie version of God's Own? It's going to be the uh, the, the very first year this year. Are you uh, you you got we, the we don't, as a team? We don't have any plans that I'm aware yeah. of. Um, again, no one's. I guess we'll probably end up just doing some discussion post God's Own as to quite what our our plan is. I get, yeah, yeah, at this stage it's very we're more or less God's Own's on the calendar, and that's what we're doing. And, and then you'll play it by ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See how it goes well, after that. Look, Chris, really appreciate you making the time, mate. We're very excited to to follow this uh, this weekend. Are there any other teams you're looking out for? Are you getting to the start line and having a little look around? Is is Aaron racing in a team? Is Aaron? Um, Aaron, Aaron is now actually. He wasn't until a few days ago. Um, okay. They they had a all girls team that's no longer quite an all girls team. Uh, <laughs> that had, uh, it was actually Aaron's. Um, wife Sarah um, yeah. was supposed to be racing, but she's got an injured herself um, a few days ago or something. When I gather, um, so he's actually going to join the team. Um, I think they'll actually have fun racing. Racing is that combo. Um, yeah. So they'll they'll do well. I guess they're probably realistically not a serious threat, but yeah. they'll. I suspect they'll be um, certainly somewhere up in the top ten quite happily. Um, there's a couple of good young Aussie, uh, young Kiwi teams as well. There's some good um, yeah, talent but, coming through nowadays, isn't I, there? I think that the yeah the the team that sort of are currently going under the name of No Idea, even though they clearly have an idea, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, are probably one of the one of the ones to watch out for. I mean, they came second last year in God's Yeah, and, they gave you a good little push, didn't um, they? And won Nathan's um, sort of cup two day race a month or so ago. Um, yeah. So I think they'll be definitely one of the other sort of favourites. Is the Estonians are going to be over here? Um, yeah. So it'll be They're cool to see, to see them. Um, I mean, I think that. I guess. I guess realistically, I I feel it probably is our race to lose, and that you know we it is in New Zealand and we have got the experience. Um, but it's it's definitely um, you know this. I guess it's so it's such a. There's so many things that can, I want to say, go wrong, but you know you can um, not do as well as you ought to, or, or or have accidents, or you know someone gets an illness, or who knows. I mean, there's a whole pile of things, and mechanicals with bikes and boats, and um, and you know just racing wise, sometimes you kind of make good decisions, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you they say cock up the navigation. And, um, I know there's all, there's always well, mate that. That very rarely happens with you, though, does it? I mean, like, I think, yeah, I, honestly, just really appreciate come, appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your experience. And uh, and you're a legend, Chris. I mean, we've um, been following you for many years and uh, and just the consistency that you've shown for Team of Ire. I think often Nathan gets a lot of the plaudits and not, uh, got obviously recognised by the New Zealand government and the sort of equivalent of the uh, of the honours of the... And, um, extremely well deserved but i think it's safe to say that the team wouldn't be what it was well you know it goes by without saying that you know team is made up of multiple individuals but i think the fact that you truly are one of the very best uh navigators in the world and uh and such a critical role within an uh, expedition adventure racing team and yeah it's just so impressive like following your team's dot and just especially when you go through those really challenging nav sections and you just see you just smash through it at night and uh or, or just in such tough conditions and it's uh yeah it's really just an a, amazing thing to, to follow so 
yeah keep it up mate keep inspiring people and um and yeah hopefully we'll have a lot more people coming into the the sport and uh expedition adventure racing is going to continue to yeah continue to bring people in and uh these young kiwi team the no idea it's like we, it's good to see the future coming through as well no no definitely no thank you very much and yeah no i'm, I'm excited that as you say it should hopefully um be be a, a good good future for for this sport so that'd be cool yeah nice one well look forward to following this weekend following your dot and uh and yeah thanks again for joining absolute pleasure Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Scott. See ya. Nice one, mate. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, like the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hello, Mr. Rick Stockfish. Good to see you, sir. How you doing, Scott? Very well. Very well. Ah, oh, how good is it to have Chris Ford on the on the podcast? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, honestly, like you, you think about sort of people who are best in class at what they do with a cross-section with sort of how unknown or known they are in the world. And, and you know, these adventure races and people like Chris have got to be up there, right, in terms of... I, I mean, when we started the podcast, it was all about across the spectrum of endurance sports. And we gave him Athlete of the Year for... Male Athlete of the Year for 2022 just because he epitomises that. And, and then adding on the fact that he is one of the best, door, best outdoor orienteering adventure racer that there is in the world... Uh, I mean, you can't really be an indoor orienteer, can you? <laughs> that would be a bit boring. Um, yeah, I mean, just what an absolute legend. And uh, before I, I, I sort of messaged a few people beforehand, say any questions for them. And uh, like Ryan Blair, I sent him a few. I asked he submitted a few questions and a couple of my adventure racing team. And and they're just like, oh, that's so cool. You're getting to speak to Chris. And he's not one of these people that doesn't do interviews all the time. And I think he, you know, he's he's not shy but he's just you know not the kind of guy that's it's almost like Nathan's really the sort of figurehead of the team and Chris is just the absolute critical uh, uh critical person within the team in terms of his role like I believe that Avaya wouldn't be the team they are without him but then you could argue that for any one of the team members whether it be Sophie the the female or whether you've um it was Sophie Hart or whether yeah Stu Lynch is experienced and Nathan is a is logistics and team lead but yeah yeah and you know it's just not it's not a sport that has a particularly high profile I mean people that people that know it love it and and really admire the people in it but you know even Nathan's probably not widely known outside of outside of adventure racing and outside of New Zealand um and someone as humble and and sort of behind the scenes is Chris um he's just killing it without people knowing really yeah um, it's yeah really great and, and as you said it's great for the podcast to have these people on to talk about how they do what they do uh, you know when they're sort of just plugging away and and you know doing doing these row gaining and commuting with the kids and just you know it's, it's it really does epitomize everything we, we we try and get out on this podcast yeah yeah no i, I loved his his discussion around his their nav strategy and you know naving through night but the story around them them competing with the um with with the swedish team at the world champs last year I, and i just love him talking about stressing out the competition by going up and down the same hill just to confuse the competition because they think oh we'll follow them and then they're like what the hell are they doing and they just mess with their their because they know he knows that he's the best nav and every other team knows that they're best nav apart from maybe Aaron Prince that he talks about and a few others so I think if anyone's behind them they're going to try and follow yeah and like you say I mean that's that's why it's kind of it's kind of ironic when they do make a mistake 
that kind of actually puts some real pressure on them that maybe pressure they're not normally feeling yeah um and i love the way you talked about how that makes them just step up yeah right i think they've they've had it not too easy there's nothing easy about expedition adventure racing but they come at it now with a, a level of confidence that they pretty much know they're going to be at the pointy end at the very uh, at the at the ultimate part of the race. But it's interesting, right? I mean, adventure racing, especially that over expedition style over that distance. I mean, God's Zone is what five fifty. I suppose confidence in your decision making ability is is absolutely fundamental, and, and and strangely, that's probably something that you accrue over time. Yeah, you know, that's your ten thousand hours of making difficult decisions in the middle of the night. But just backing yourself, and that's where that's where that comes from. Yeah, and, and as he talks about, Stu is also could be a lead navigator for other teams as well. So the the fact that they work so well together, and that they can trust that oh, if they go co-pilot for a while, Stu's going to be in a simpler nav area. He doesn't need to worry about it. Yeah. But that, the way they bounce ideas off of each other, and that's what makes them such an incredible team. That they've got that co-pilot that was is could be a could be a lead nav. So fair to say, you think your your money's on them for for God's own again this year? Ah, oh, it's hard to put your money in uh, elsewhere, really. I mean, they talked about team no idea that have definitely got an idea and gave them a run for God's own last year. Young team, it's great to see some young blood coming into the sport. But yeah, Tiki Tour are always uh, there or thereabouts. Uh, you've got uh, Thought Sports, which have got Rob Preston and his uh, and his wife competing. And uh, and yeah, Aaron Prince is going to be he's he's subbed in for his wife as he mentioned um, with uh, her having injury. So whilst it's uh, you know three females and one male, you thought they'd have a slight disadvantage. But you know with his nav, you know he's one of the probably the second best navigator in the world. So that's Team Rob Wahine. So yeah, we'll be keeping an eye, eye out for those as they're the I think it kicks off three p.m. today. Yeah, it's going to be a good watch, isn't it? love a bit of dot watching and yeah it's going to be a, a tough course as as um as always um but yeah it's, we're, and we'll, we'll be getting we're planning to get warren bates the uh, the race director on after the after the race as well to hear his backstory and hear about sort of putting on what we sort of voted to be the the, the race of the year for 2022 yeah and there's, there's probably a wider discussion we can have at some point about the state of adventure racing and um, we're going to get Brandon on, who's sort of overseeing some of the the events in Malaysia and the the, the, the races on the Asian part of the tour. Yeah, the um, ARWS. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, we we talked a little bit offline around the sort of Adventure One series that's been that's sort of part of the obstacle course racing, which in uh, in yeah, in Chris's opinion, is obviously a completely different sport, and I I agree. Obstacle course racing is. In adventure racing, you want to do everything you can to avoid obstacles to go as fast as you as possible, not bloody put um, like obstacles in in the way for the sake of it. So it's a different sport, you know. I, I think that I, I've been a big fan of what Louise and uh, and, and Craig built with the AW, ARWS uh, Adventure Racing World Series, and obviously that's been taken over by Heidi of the um, of the South African. Uh, uh, race director for the South African team and so she's CEO now and there's going to be the world champs next year so yeah we hope team of Ira uh, turn up uh, turn up there again in 2023 yeah and then you're back you're just back from from Hong Kong yeah putting a a solid performance mate top top 30 yeah such a fantastic race Hong Kong 100 it's one of those just iconic 
ultras in in the region and it was it was good to run it and, and what, what a good year to get back there it must have been quite special just first the first big in-person mask off yeah. race and uh, you felt it you felt the the sort of joy and atmosphere the community coming together i got to see a load of people at the start line andre was down there and a lot of uh, uh yeah a lot of the four trails alumni like nikki will and uh and yeah i was going into it feeling in, in really good shape i had uh, a good training block and it was quite nice we, the thing about hong kong 100 which is different to it follows much of the McElhose route that the Oxford trail walker does but at the beginning rather than going all the way along the reservoir to begin with you do a right turn and sort of go around the the coast or do a climb and go around the coastline but it does bottleneck at the very beginning after about a kilometer and so I went out with Will and Nikki, and we just—I was chatting with uh, with those with Will along the way, and it was nice because it hit the bottleneck and just went out slow, and it was great. So for the first two or three k, I was just basically just jogging along, chatting away with Will, having a good a good natter, and then after like three k, I was like, okay, I can start picking people off now. It's sort of thinned out a little bit, and it it finally feels like getting to my 40s now i'm finally learning how to how to race in terms of starting to pace myself like my my strategy historically has been balls to the wall from the start line and then burn out and just crash for the second half so i think i've finally got matured a little bit and so yeah just cruised out our, our race plan that I worked with Tomo, my coach on, was uh, was to not go over 150 beats per minute on, on the heart rate. So that was just, and I kind of used this this psychology of, I think I learned it from a cyclist one before about like you you have 10 matches in your box and like every time you push, like give it a nudge, you're burning one of those matches. So I was just like, and I noticed a couple of times I'm like, oh, I'm pushing it a bit hard. That's a match done. Okay. Like, and, and, and I actually, it ended up, I only used three matches in the entire race. So I was like, it was a good psychology to use. Um, and yeah, sort of did the first half in on pace, like seven minute Ks. And, uh, and yeah, it's just so beautiful going to Taiwan beach and uh, all of the, that sort of part of Hong Kong. So lovely. And then any tough, any tough spots? There was a tough spot. Uh, it's been a while since you've been in Hong Kong as well, but you've, you've done stage four of the Mac yeah. before. Brutal. It's just so tough. The one where you go up my own what, what time of day did you hit that? Around 11 o'clock, I'd say. So yeah, around 11 o'clock. And it just goes on and on. You, you, your Mayan Shan is a massive climb. So you've got the big road which goes exposed, up, and yeah. then you drop down, and then you go, you climb, and and it's nice. You get over the top, but then you forget that the next bit, just to Gilwell campsite, goes on forever. And it took me. I was actually comparing my times against other people that did well, and I was a that that section for me was tough. And I ran out of water, and I got into Gilwell, and I was like, "Whoa, this is uh, uh, this that was tough." But then, but then after that, I was I sort of drank and I was starting on on coke from then and and was okay. But a lot of people suffered. There's a lot of I, the amount of puke that I saw on the course. It was uh, <laughs> you held it until the end, but yeah. Well, I'd say I I vomited. I didn't actually. I was more dry reaching yeah. at the end, and it was probably ten minutes after I'd finished. But I was uh, yeah. I I definitely meant I'd sort of pushed it. But yeah, I think training in Singapore. The heat here was was good, so I, it was only twenty four degrees, but the humidity was high. 
everyone suffered yeah. like so many so i passed at getting into lead mine pass 10k to go you all you've got to do is go over the uh time Shan, and then you drop down to the finish line at, uh, at root twisk so i got in there and at that point you've just done needle hill and you've done a long climb up the road to get to lead mine and uh and i got there and i, I saw a guy i was like he l- looks i was like he's a good runner i know he is and and then i realized it was jeremy ritchie all right jeremy what the what the hell are you doing you should have finished two hours ago and he was he looked like death like he looked he was in a he was in a terrible state he's like i've been throwing up for the last five hours he's like i'll see you in a few hours <laughs> i was like Fah. he was uh and obviously jeremy is one of the top runners in yeah. in hong kong this was his 13th finish so i think he must have the record for the number of gold medals for because you get a gold medal if you do it in sub 15 hours and um so was, there's a uh, and I did see him at the, the finish line. I think he came. I think I finished fourteen thirty-four or something like that. And he he finished just over fifteen hours. And um, so it's sub sixteen, you get a gold medal. And uh, and he uh, yeah, he looked like death. <laughs> I was chatting to his mate Cos- uh, Cosmo, and uh, there was a couple of them sitting there after. And they looked like a couple of guys that had just got out of a nightclub at 5 a.m. And they were like, had popped a few pills and they were on a come down and just looked like they were in a mess. <laughs> but kudos to him, like going through that pain cave and still carrying on. And year on year, yeah, yeah. And speaking of, of uh, Fortress alumni, special kudos to um, Manny. Yes. What an incredible performance. So outright, outright female winner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she did like thirteen forty-five. Just incredible performance. And there's a lot of amazing mainland Chinese runners that come down for Hong Kong One Hundred. So it was a it was a tough field. Yeah, I, mean, for I think the top top three male were all mainland Chinese, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think the major. I think the top six were all uh, were all mainland Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Jay um, Super Jay of North Face Adventure Team had a uh, he had a rough day out there as well. Like I think he was just over thirteen hours and had bad stomach issues couldn't eat for the second half but once again that guy just guts it out yeah. as well i don't think he dnfs it's just like ah uh, you know this hasn't worked out but i'm still going to plow on through yeah no great day out well done mate yeah and no, i enjoyed it and yeah i've got next up is the uh is the hardcore i'm, I'm going to do i think i'm going to do mountain goat here in singapore Are you you up for coming giving that I'll a bash that. i'll come with you well you should come and uh come and give it a bash yourself mate but, so that starts when? Is that this weekend? Well, there's another training session this weekend, isn't there? Yeah, it's. I think it's from the end of Feb to end of March. Yeah, to the 26th of March. So that's the 12 hours of the mountain goat route in Singapore. And then Hardcore 100 in May, which I'm do- in Philippines, which we've got a really good crew. I'm going with uh, Nikki Han and Will Hayward and uh, and then there's Tanya Pitnoy. And, yeah, so there's good... Uh, good crew going up with that, that and that's that's a tough one that's a 10,000 meter elevation miner which Tom had done that one I think it's a tough he one he hasn't actually yeah. no yeah, but he uh, we were actually chatting on we were chatting and he's like oh have you heard about this one and I was like yeah I've heard of it and it went on sale the day we were chatting so it's his fault nice so, yeah and uh, and yeah I'm also looking to get up for VMM again this year ch- chatting to David he's sort of uh, he's getting a few runners to get up there but um yeah, so we'll have we'll get 
get Janet and Steve on uh, yes. talk, talk more Hong Kong 100 yeah we're going to get them on week or so. it, um, we're going to get a chat with them next week and we'll, we'll publish soon and uh, and yeah just such an amazing couple and big contributors to the trail running community and um, but yeah and I'll chat back in after God's Zone yeah we'll do enjoy the dot watching this weekend the link will be in the show notes but yeah keep an eye on uh on uh, those teams that are running Tiki Tour and obviously Team of Ayer and no idea it's going to be a it's going to be a fun one good stuff mate cheers like the truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining cuz things ain't that bad